Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am back again with Yusip Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. All good here. It's been a short while since we last recorded an episode because we had the summer holiday in between. And in the Nordics, as you know, but I'm not sure if all, all of the audience knows yet, but in the Nordics, we typically have four to six weeks of holiday in the summertime. So for me, it's been a staycation. I've stayed at home with the family. Uh, so we've been going a lot to the... Uh, the summer cabin that we have, it's fairly close, so I count that as home. And then we've also been fixing a lot of things at home, like cleaning the storage, getting rid of stuff. But uh, I found from one of the storages that I have, one of the cabinets, I found a massive bag of Lego. Like not, <laughs> not, not the ones that I've been purchasing, the Lego Technics, the, the Lamborghinis and Porsche and everything else. But this is the old Lego from the, when, when the kids still used to play with Lego. And now I'm a bit torn. Should I sell them? Should I give them out to a kindergarten? Or should I start building them myself? And so I've, I've got an easy answer to that, and that, mm. that is you will sell them to me because my kids just start <laughs> to, to find Legos interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to give you as many Lego as you like because there's a lot, and it's already color-coordinated. So I've got uh -oh. one bag with red Lego, one with black, and so on and so forth. I that have will too much sit time. well with my mini OCD. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So for me, all good. Uh, still a few more days of holidays, then back to work. How about for you? So for me, it's uh, fairly similar. We also have some staycation, or in Sweden, it's called hemester, because home is called hem, and semester is vacation. Uh, so they put the two words together, just like staycation, it's hemester, so home vacation. So we're also doing that. We visited some relatives and their summer houses, uh, or rather, we used their empty summer houses so we could uh, yeah, just stay there with our family and have a good time and a bit more space. Uh, summer holiday in Sweden is, like you say, a lot of people have four, five, six weeks. I only have three weeks this year uh, because earlier this year we went to Thailand just before all of this happened. Um, so we've also been recharging finding the balance of things and one of the key things we've done is fishing crabs down by the the various docks along the west coast and i also found that i think i enjoyed a lot more than my kid because she's like oh there's a crab and then as soon as we're you know taking the there's a, a clothespin and a line and we uh, take a, a small shell or a clam or a mussel and put that on and and we get the crab but she has no patience waiting for that. I can be there for 10 minutes or an hour and just wait for a crab because I find it so exciting because I also enjoy fishing and that's kind of part of the fishing experience. And she just want to throw it in and then where's the crab? <laughs> so we kind of have different interests and I'm working on that, but we've been testing a lot of uh, different crab fishing spots and we, we did get some really big ones uh, outside of Gothenburg in, in Sweden. Uh, not big enough to put on the grill, but 
it was it was pretty fun and it's it's fun when you see the you know the light comes on in in my daughter's eye when we find a crab and we take it up and we study it a bit and then we let it back in and we can see it goes back and um yeah i just like this this experience i feel like a hero every time i do something that that makes her eyes just shine and, and be so excited about it and it's crab fishing it's not rocket science sounds like a fun activity oh, so i live next to the sea as well but i've never even had the thought of going to the beach to actually fish some crab but i, I might take your your uh, advice on that one and try it this weekend yeah it's i mean it, i think it's fun for myself but when the kid also likes it it's a good combination because it's it's a great way to spend time outdoors and away from other people in these times um, but also a lot of time together and and having a project where you you together need to get that crab and and you work as a team on that now of course my kid is three years old so project coordination is and deadlines in that project may or may not uh, be easy to to uphold <laughs> and and if you're finished then just keeping your distance from people at all times before covid that's the normal so yeah. <laughs> going, going to the beach if nobody else is there that's perfect yeah Alrighty, so for today's episode, uh, we are planning to talk about something called the Azure Well Architected Framework. And this was announced uh, during this summer, and there's been a couple of conferences from Microsoft. Uh, we had built in May, then we had Inspire. Microsoft also internally has something called Microsoft Ready. It used to be called Tech Ready, now it's Ready. So well architected framework kind of lured lured in during build and in between inspire I think but I was mostly busy cleaning my desk to get to go to the holidays so so I'm not entirely sure when this was announced but now uh when we are recording this and when you're listening on this it's already available and I I think I read the announcement on July 21st so it's it's fairly recent and the um, what i like about this the well architected framework it's a set of principles and it's something that already existed with amazon web services or aws for example so they've already had this for for quite a while for several years and it's essentially a set of uh, design architecture guidance and principles so and and i quote from one of the websites that microsoft is writing about it they say Design and build secure, scalable, high-performing solutions in Azure using the pillars of the Microsoft Azure well-architected framework. So essentially what it is, and what they call pillars, is different categories, if you will. And these categories can be operational excellence, security, reliability, performance efficiency, and cost optimization. And if you just hear those, you might think, well, that's all part of Azure Advisor, right? So if you go to the Azure portal, you go to the advisor, you will see the same thing or similar things. And it is tying into that as a practice. However, with the, with the framework, it is a way to follow the pattern, not just how you deploy a service in Azure and how it's configured in Azure, because that's where the Azure Advisor can help you. It will tell you, you have this service, it is configured like that, best practices, might mean that you should do this instead and then you will get a red flag or, or a warning saying you have room for improvement on this thing. Whereas with the Azure Well Architected Framework, 
it is something that you can, it's more of a soft values in the sense that you as a team member or you as an architect or you as a um, operationals manager or whatever you work with, your part of that is also to strengthen the process. So it's also about how can you get your operational excellence um, in the process working? So that is before it's in the cloud, for example. How do you ensure that the development environment is as close to production as possible? That's part of the Azure Well Architected Framework. And that's not something that you can get help with from the Azure Monitor or the Azure Advisor because that can only see what you have inside of that Azure environment. Whereas this framework is more about uh, the entire process. So one is about the services you have deployed and how they're configured which is the Azure Advisor, but now the well-architected framework is more how do we think about it? How does the process of our team look like and, and how does that work? So that's kind of what I might take away of the short story uh, of the well-architected framework. And then we also have the Cloud Adoption Framework or CAF. And, and we talked about that in episode 26, that was in late April, 2020. And my understanding is that the difference between Cloud Adoption Framework, CAF, and the Well-Architected Framework is that they're siblings in the sense. So that CAF is more for IT pros, architects, and business decision makers, those business type of people, uh, to make you succeed when you move to the cloud. So it's a lot about the strategy and planning and migrating and how do we govern those services. Uh, and well-architected framework is more about how do we maintain security? How do we keep this reliable? And how do we get the performance out of this now that we are in the cloud? But yeah. also my understanding is that you do not have to first go through CAF. And then when, when you've applied all the guidance in there, then move on to well-architected. You can use both of these side by side. You can do that, but you can also do it without CAF at all. Uh, so in, in part of my journey, we haven't used a cloud adoption framework because we already started cloud native with everything we did. So we didn't start on-prem and then needed to move into the cloud. We started in the cloud. So we are already there. And what we can do then is apply the principles of Azure Well-Architected Framework to our process. So, so I can ensure that my dev teams and my own operation teams and you know, every, everyone in, in between in the DevOps process really works. And in order to do that, it's a lot more than just technical. It's a, it's a lot about the process. So this, like you say, can sit side by side with your principles and guidance you get from the cloud adoption framework. But also if you haven't used that, you can just take a look at the well-architected framework for Azure and, and get going. And, and to get started, there's like a, a few key points. It's you can of course read the the well-architected framework content and the reference materials, and then there's a lot of samples available in the Azure Architecture Center. We'll put some links in the show notes. You can uh, go take a look at that. And then there's also something called uh, the Azure Well-Architected Review or Assessment. And I did this recently myself for some of the workloads I have, and that's we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And it's essentially a way for you to quickly get started because when you read something like this, you get a bunch of pages with recommendations for all these different categories and every category is broken down into a lot of different things. 
for security, you have this and this and this. And then for operational excellence, you have these categories. Each category inside there has so many things you need to check. So Microsoft is providing this assessment so you can just answer a bunch of questions and see kind of where you are. So I did that assessment for a couple of my workloads uh, for security and uh, reliability and cost optimization. And when I did that, I could just tick a couple of boxes. I wanna do these things or I wanna assess where I am in my team and my process um, compared to the guidances of well-architected framework. And it will just give me a report saying, this is where you are, this is where you need to improve. Um, and what I like about that is it will tell you uh, pretty much the, the overall status, uh, critical, moderate, or excellent. Those are the three kind of red, yellow, green areas uh, or a scale from zero to 100 um, based on points where you are on every single thing that you were asked a question in your process. So you can see, well, the DevOps side or the, the security, well, you have an 80 on that. So you're in the green area, which is good, but there's room for improvements and here's what you need to know. And then you will get a set of links with uh, related to the things that you so-called failed in the assessment. Then you can read on that and see if there's any of those practices you can apply to your process and your team and your resources. So it's, it's a way to make an assessment, but then also get help in taking action. Um, and I really like that. Okay, I haven't ran through the assessment, but looking at the assessment, it allows you to pick one or more from those five pillars. And what I did, I selected operational excellence just to see what the assessment is giving me. And it's giving me seven questions. One of those is how are you designing your applications to take into account DevOps? And there's multiple choices you can select that I'm isolating my workloads or I'm treating my infrastructure as if it were code. And the last option is none of the above. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and I assume that the, when I fill out through all of these one or more pillars, it gives me then what you said, the, the assessment itself. So to me, it seems like if I were an MSP, uh, a managed services partner for my customers, or a consulting company, I can approach my customers and say, let's do this assessment together. Then we know what we need to focus on. And then we know how do we focus on those because now we have those best practices as part of the well-architected review. Yeah, and I, I really like that approach because it's one of the things when I was a consultant is exactly that, trying to figure out where we are and how do we get in, in through the finish line because it's not always as easy to understand every new customer you come to and what the, everything around the technology looks like, because there's a lot of processes, a lot of people involved and a lot of different teams taking the assessment while it's just a set of questions, right? So it's not rocket science. It's not scientifically uh, researched a lot. It's just a set of questions, but those set of questions will get you at least in the direction of where you have weaknesses in the processes that you might wanna take a look at and where you can improve things and also get a, a tap on the shoulder saying, you're doing great in this area, so just continue doing what you're doing here. Um, so I, I like that approach to, to sit down together with the customer or if you are the customer, you can use this to provide your consultants or your partners uh, with the results of the assessment saying, this is 
how we do things, apparently we have room for improvements in security and reliability. Where do we get started? So it's a, it's a good way to get the, the glimpse of, of where we are. I would also pair this with the developer velocity assessment. So we talked about that in episode 34, and that also has an assessment for your development teams. So the developer velocity was more about how do we actually implement the solutions and the well-architected framework assessment or review is more about do we do DevOps at all or not, regardless of what our development teams are doing today. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think they be used in combination a lot as well. Um, and so, so I mentioned something about the five pillars that they also use in AWS, and they use this in, in well, anyone really who puts up a well-architected framework follows kind of the same pillars. And breaking down those pillars, um, you know, for anyone tuning in and, and thinking, well, I already know all about this, or why would I be interested? I just want to touch on each of these pillars, you know, what kind of are the disciplines underneath them to, to see if there's something that resonates with you or that you need to brush up on or that you want to uh, check out, then that's the pillar you need to go to. Um, so starting with the operational excellence pillar, what, what we check in this area is pretty much best practices for management and monitoring and monitoring diagnostics, if you will. So uh, things like application design, and that provides guidance on how to design, build, and orchestrate workloads with DevOps principles in mind, which is important today. Uh, Monitoring, how do we do monitoring? Are we doing monitoring? Uh, Things like that. And application performance management, code deployment. How do you deploy your code? Um, And obviously that's one of the key factors to determine your application stability, because when you need to do a bug fix, how do you do that? Do you right click publish? I hope not for a production environment. So all of these things uh, are part of the operational excellence. And I think testing also falls into the operational excellence uh, so we can um, uh, find and, and catch unexpected mistakes and errors before they actually impact users. So that's also part of uh, the first pillar, operational excellence. Um, and then we have security, which I really like. And this is one of the things where I took my assessments. And there's a lot of things they check here. And the security is second to none. So for me, this is my number one pillar. Whenever I do anything in these areas, whenever I do anything in Azure, and whenever I take a look at Azure Advisor, I always check security first. Whatever goal I have, if I need to improve the performance of my website, if there's a flag for anything security, I take that first. And I think that's important because security is not a something that you should think about in second. Um, it is second to none when it comes to all the threats today. So this pillar, uh, talking about security, there's like the role of security, um, which is one of the more important aspects of any architecture. Um, so with security, we provide confidentiality, integrity, and availability assurances against deliberate attacks and abuse. And all of these things are, are things we need to stay on top of. We do get a lot of help with Azure threat management and Azure, um, uh, all the Azure threat tools really in Azure and Azure Security Center. Um, and the well-architected framework then adds on security design principles 
what types of attacks we can actually resist with our application architecture? Are we following regulatory compliance? Uh, how can we reduce the organizational risk? How do we handle administration of monitoring, maintaining, and, and operating the IT systems that we have? Uh, do we have any SLAs on that? And what are the business requirements? Uh, and applications and services and the data associated with them. Where do we actually put the data? Is the data in the cloud or is the data on-prem? What cloud, what region, where do you have it? Um, you know, governance, risk and compliance, uh, identity and access management, info protection and storage. Again, data sovereignty, where, where is the data? Is it in West Europe, North Europe, in the US? Uh, network security and containment. How do you secure networks? and security operations. So you can see the list goes on in this category for security, which is one of the bigger ones. And again, I just wanna put emphasis on that. Security is second to none. Always deal with security first, or at least that's my priority. Um, and taking this assessment or following these principles will ensure that we can strengthen how we work in the cloud. And also for me, who's head of technical operations and I'm in charge of also operating things that we have in the cloud, for me, it's super important to go to sleep at night knowing that we're following all the best practices. Um, we have only green flags telling us we're doing a good job. We have all the data encryption, all the data network security, and we have several layers of protection. That's important for me. And this will help with that for things that lies outside of what Azure Security Center can check for you. So also, how do you work in the process? Who can access the system? Because that's not something that Azure will tell you um, in terms of um, uh, the softer side of the process. Who in your organization can actually operate or access the uh, cloud operation environment? Well, that's only these few people. Good, you get a green checkbox. Or if it's pretty much anyone, obviously that's gonna be critical. So the security pillar is it's detailing a lot of different things in the security topics, and I just listed them up and down, uh, a lot of them. And if there's anything in there that you think you need to brush up on, when you do the assessment, make sure you tick the security box. So one of the things that I'm looking now is each of these pillars have uh, the documentation, of course, and there's an overview, which is more or less a list of links. But then, especially for security, a lot of the, the basic building blocks of security is explained really well in here. So there's plenty to read. And I wouldn't say this is overly complex or super technical. It's more educational in mm -hmm. the sense that if you're doing this, perhaps consider that. There, here's some additional information for you. And I really like this sort of content because this I can get uh, take with me on the go and read and, and educate myself as opposed to taking uh, deeply technical documentation with me and I'm sitting in a train and I'm trying to read without internet connectivity and it says run this, this and this command to understand how this works. It's not mm -hmm. helping me. But yep. this, this states the role of security, the design principles that you need to factor in and for example, in the design principles, there's uh, the assumption of zero trust and with additional links. So it really gives you this educational insight into, oh, I need to learn more about this. 
Yeah. So, so in that sense, it's both a reference, but also this sort of educational guidebook that you can just read in one go and understand the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to interpret it this way. And I, what I did is I already started reading a lot of these things. And um, as you say, it's easily digestible. It's not highly technical. It's more of raising awareness. So it's raising awareness with a way for you to check where you are on this journey. So here's a load of different best practices or recommendations, which might be a better word uh, for all these different pillars. And here's why it's important. Here's how to achieve it. And this is where you are if you take the assessment. Um, and I, I really like this. Um, one of the other pillars is reliability, which uh, of course also checks a bunch of things. And what I think is like the core things of reliability is that you, first of all, you obviously need to define whatever requirements you have so you can develop availability and recovery um, into your application. Uh, you need to use architectural best practices so you can follow the proven practices, identify possible failure points in the architecture, and determine how the application will respond to failure and things like that. You need to test uh, with simulations and forced failovers. So I think we talked about this in a different episode uh, where you can simulate uh, faults. We talked about the, I think it was the chaos theory um, and, and how you can implement that. And similar to that, you need to simulate faults, trigger forced failovers. What happens if I inject all these incorrect commands? Um, you know, will the application detect and recover properly based on that? Um, you can also, based on this, but also based on the security principle, you can also do vulnerability assessments on your systems to uh, kind of inject faults or inject attacks to see how it responds. Um, are you deploying the application consistently? Releasing to production using the same reliable and repeatable process is super important. So you don't deploy from a zip file today and then you deploy something from command line from a folder and then you use a CI process. You always use the same process for deploying whatever that is. And how do you um, respond to failures and disasters happening? And how can you monitor the application health continuously to detect failures, um, you know, potential failures? Um, yeah, all, all of these things, pretty much the, the health overview of your application. All of these things are part of reliability and you'll also get a bunch of questions in that area if you take that assessment. We have another one and, and what I like here is I, I just mentioned chaos engineering and I, I noticed in the documentation for reliability they actually also talk about chaos engineering which we talked about in a previous episode. We'll also put that in the show notes. Um, you know, where the principles are, be proactive, embrace failure, break the system, which I like identify and address single point of failures early. Uh, yeah, all these things we already talked about in, in that episode about uh, chaos engineering also applies as part of making your application more reliable. So that falls into the pillar of reliability. So there's a lot to digest in here and combined with cloud adoption framework, the existing application architecture guide, the developer velocity guidelines, and this to me, it seems like this gives me all of the knowledge and all of the best practices that I would need to understand 
and then pick and choose what which one of these are relevant for my deployments and for my services. Yeah, and I, I think this is maybe a key point to, like you mentioned, you have these different types of, of things. You have the CAF and you have now the micro well-architected framework and the developer velocity thing and used in combination or used standalone. They're all super to learning where you are not only with the super technical implementation is the JSON configuration of my resource absolutely uh, in the best shape, but also how does my process look like compared to industry standards? Am I doing things the right way? So I, I definitely like it. I definitely like the, the documentation behind of it. So again, in the show notes, you will find the links to the documentation, to the uh, taking the assessments and also to the previous episodes that we mentioned before. All of these things are easy to digest. There's a lot of it, so it might take time to read it all. But if you have a role where you're in charge of any of these five pillars, or if you work in a highly agile DevOps environment where you collectively have a responsibility in ensuring all of these things, which I hope you do, then everyone on the team needs to take a look at this and maybe make the assessment themselves. This is also something I found out when I took the assessment because I asked someone I know to take the same assessment for the same environment that we're talking about. And we got slightly different results, but still in the same ball, ballpark. So that's good. But if you get completely different set of results talking about the same team or the same project or the same setup, then maybe it's not that you are actually having different setups. It's maybe just that your interpretation of how you work is different than from your colleague. And, and this is also important to address. So everyone is on the same page. If we start moving forward in a specific direction, it's important for everyone to understand where we are right now and why we're moving in that direction. So it could also help uh, ensuring that everyone on the team is on the same page. And once more, when you consume content from docs.microsoft.com, the lower left button download PDF, it's very useful. You go to the selected area of the content, download as PDF, it gets everything from there and all the sub pages and sub content as well. I think that's actually the first time I've seen this button. So that's, I, I think for me, the best takeaway of all our 50 or 40 episodes of, of this show is this button. I've never seen that. I'm looking at it right now and I'm like, it's right there. How can I miss that? Yep. And that's a great tip because that's what I'm going to do right now because my vacation goes on for another week and to put myself uh, to sleep at night, reading the Microsoft Azure well-architected framework is going to be a great fit. I'll, I'll give you another pro tip. What I do is I download this as PDF whenever I see, oh, this looks interesting, but I do not want to sit in front of the computer to read this. So I download this as PDF and I store those in a magic folder on my workstation. It gets picked up automatically and sent to my Kindle device. Okay. So, so that way, when I open my Kindle, I always have like 20 PDFs that I know I really want to read. Uh, that's, it's great. So when you're with the family at the beach, you know, everyone is reading their book, their novel, and, and you're also reading your book. Everyone thinks you're reading some interesting criminal series or whatever, and you're actually just digesting the Asherwell Architected Framework. Yes, and occasionally somebody might ask, where's the kids? And I, I say, I have no idea. I've been reading no the architecture thing. <laughs> <laughs>
All righty, this was fun, super insightful on Azure Well Architecture Framework. Uh, we'll make sure to put the uh, links in the show notes as well. Thank you for tuning in and until next time. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.